Today, we stand in this room, tangled up in a well. <laughs> Something weird happens every Easter. That was minor league. Now it's my turn, devil. <laughs> Hear the word of the Lord from John chapter 19, beginning in verse 40. Following Jewish burial customs, they took Jesus' body and they wrapped it with spices and in linen cloths. There was a garden in the place where Jesus was crucified, and in the garden was a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid, because it was the Jewish preparation day. And the tomb was nearby. They laid Jesus in it. And then a long Sabbath day. In the book of Genesis, on the seventh day, the Lord rested. On this day of silence, the Lord rested. And then we hear these words in chapter 20. Early in the morning on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and saw that the stone had been taken away. And there on that day, she encountered her Lord. And in in verse 18, we read, Mary Magdalene left and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. Then she told them what he said to her. It was still the first day of the week. That evening, while the disciples were behind closed doors because they were afraid of the Jewish authorities, Jesus came and stood among them. He said. Let's pray. Our good and our holy God, we are so grateful for this Lord's day. We are thankful, Lord, in a special way for this resurrection day this year. We thank you, Lord, for the hope that you've placed in our hearts. We're grateful for the opportunity to worship you together today, Lord. We thank you for a chance to ring our bells and to sing our songs and to pray our prayers. And we thank you, Lord, that you speak from your holy word. We pray, Lord, that you would speak now. Speak that our souls may hear. We pray in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. We pray together saying... Amen and amen. Friends, please be seated. Jesus Christ was buried in a tomb. Then he stood in the midst of his disciples and spoke. Jesus Christ was buried in a tomb. Then he stood in the midst of his disciples and spoke. Therefore, Jesus Christ was buried in a tomb. Then he stood in the midst of his disciples and spoke. Therefore, 
Kids, when you hear the words then and therefore, I want you to ring your bells as if you've heard the word hallelujah. Let's do it together. Jesus Christ was buried in a tomb. Then he stood in the midst of his disciples and spoke therefore. One more time with all your heart and with all your soul. Jesus Christ was buried in a tomb then. He stood in the midst of his disciples and spoke, therefore. <laughs> I love it. Today, we celebrate the truth that the one buried in the tomb came and stood in the midst of his people and spoke afresh the word of God. David Fitch said, at some point in every Christian life, we knew to move from A, Jesus rose from the dead, the concept belief to B, Jesus risen Lord, ruling the world, a living reality. On this Easter Sunday, 2020, the options before us are to throw in our lot with the nihilist and say we've moved beyond good and evil. Or B, the victory in Jesus. Alleluia, little children, he is alive. Alleluia, little children, he is alive. They buried him in a tomb, but he stood among his disciples and spoke. Alleluia, little children, he is alive. B is the live option. And the hope that it's within our bones. So just for a few moments this morning, I want us to refresh our memories. For some of you, this might be a brand new proclamation, but I want us to visit this story as if it was the first time. Because I believe that Jesus Christ was buried in a tomb. Then he stood in the midst of his disciples and spoke, therefore, we can move from fear to faith. Look with me in verses 19 and 21. It was still the first day of the week, the evening while the disciples were behind the closed doors because they were afraid of the Jewish authorities. Jesus came and stood among them. He said, Peace, peace, peace be with you. Can you imagine being there in that moment? Can you imagine that? This is a gathering of the world's great losers. They had placed all of their hopes in Jesus. All of their desires. They'd placed their will at his disposal. They left everything they knew to follow him. And day after day, for years, 
They walked with him and they learned from him and they ate with him and they drank with him and they wept with him and they laughed with him and they served with him and they saw him exercise power over the grave and over sin and over evil. They believed with all their hearts. And then, and then, He was taken away. Most of them fled. They failed him in his hour of need, even as they had promised to stick with him through thick and thin. They took him away and they killed him. And they buried him in a garden tomb. And the disciples gathered together on the first day of the week. But they gathered together for the first Sunday as the gathering of the dead Messiah. The gathering of the dashed hopes. The gathering of the losers and the failures. The gathering of the betrayers. The gathering of the weak and the wounded. They buried Jesus in a tomb and their hopes with it. Then he stood in their midst and spoke. Therefore, they and we can move from fear to peace have you ever really failed a friend I mean just in everyday life in a public setting when you should have spoken up for her and you didn't and you carried that in your heart or maybe you said something you shouldn't have said or maybe you did something you didn't do have you ever really wounded a friend sure you have because all we like sheep have gone astray. Do you remember that season between your failure and the first time you saw them again? How many times did you wonder, what will I say if I see him? Perhaps you switched to a new H-E-B. <laughs> you laugh because you've done it. What shall I do? What shall I do? Maybe they wished for an opportunity. Maybe they said in their own hearts, if he was just still alive, I would say, I'm sorry. This isn't just a story. This is the story. And it's our story. And there in the midst of all of that and bubbling with fear, he came and he spoke first and he said peace. If you don't remember anything else this morning, remember this, grace always acts first. And the gospel is that God has come. On that Thursday night, he took off his robes he washed their feet, he put them back on again, and he sat down in authority. 
Jesus came from heaven to our grit and our grime to suffer once the just for the unjust to bring us to God. And here he is, dressed and standing and alive and Lord, speaking the word, peace. Jesus Christ was buried in a tomb. Then he stood in the midst of the disciples and spoke. Therefore, we can move from fear to faith. But that's not the end of it. Jesus Christ was buried in a tomb. Then he stood in the midst of his disciples and spoke. Therefore, a human institution can become a spirit-filled church. On that first Lord's Day, they gathered, but they gathered without the Christ, but it didn't last long. Jesus could have showed up anywhere on that first Easter. He could have showed up anywhere. If I was the Messiah, you know where I'd have gone? Rome. <laughs> if you can just show up someplace, I'd have shown up in the throne room or Cairo, or Alexandria, among the powerful, and the pretty, and the accomplished, and the smart, I would have shown up in the midst of the powers that be, and I would have said, here I am. Even though Jesus drew a crowd, he came to build a church. And so on that first Easter morning, he showed up among the church of the losers. <laughs> and he spoke. He spoke to them. This was a, a promise that he had made way back in Matthew 18, 20. He said, where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there with them. And here it's in its most concrete literalness. He was there with him. And he said, touch me. Feel me. Put your hands inside of my wounds. Here I am in the midst. And in John 21, 9 to 13, we have this wonderful story of Jesus eating and, and being with his disciples. The disciples, after this encounter on, at night, they went fishing the next day or sometime soon after. And we have this great story. They were fishing. He said, get some more fish. He said, come over here. And in verse 9 we read, when they landed, they saw a fire there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of that fish you've just caught. C.S. Lewis said that the, the bodily resurrection was as real and literal as broiled fish. Simon Peter got up and pulled the net to shore. It was full of large fish, 153 of them. Yet the net hadn't torn. Even with so many fish, Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. None of the disciples could bring themselves to ask, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came. He took the bread, he gave it to them, he did the same with the fish. And they ate breakfast. Come, bring me that fish, I've got the fire ready. Come, sit down and eat. 
The resurrection of Jesus made possible a church, a gathering, a people that wore his name, that shared their lives together and with him. And it was this nearness, this closeness, this life that would touch and change the world. Last year was the strangest Easter of my life. I looked into a camera and I talked and I hoped you were on the other side. And with all my heart, I proclaimed the aliveness of Christ to that blinking eye that was staring at me. I did the best I could. And I trust so did you. I was on the other side of the camera watching myself preach that Easter morning. That was the weirdest Easter morning of my life. Last year on Easter, I talked about Camus and his novel, The Plague. I talked about his idea that, that what we're left with is trying to make the best of our circumstances, that, that, that we, like Sisyphus, climb and we have this meaningless work and it's absurd, but the glory of humanity is finding meaning in the absurdity. I think that's a reasonably good path to take if you can't bring yourself to accept the truth that Christ is alive and stood in the midst of his people. But Paul looked at that honorable path and he said, that's pitiful. Because Christ is alive. Christ is alive. This year, revisiting that story, Camus and the Plague, I learned that he wrote that novel in the 40s in a French village called Les Chambons. This little village was known, it's a little Huguenot village. It was known for saving the lives of countless Jews during the Nazi occupation. That little community of Christians, faithfully committed to God and to God's way in the world, were pastored by a wonderful man named Andre Trachme. Trachme had spent time as a young man in a group of Christians that had shared their lives together with God in such a way that he was committed to both God and his church and believed in his heart of hearts that a people filled with the presence of God could make a difference. In the book that tells the story of Le Chambon, Lest Innocent Blood Be Shed, we hear these words. For the rest of his life, Pastor Trogme sought a union, an intimate community of people praying together and finding in their love for each other and for God the passion and the will to extinguish indifference and solitude. From the church, he learned that only in such an intimate community, in a home or in a village, could the Protestant idea of the priesthood of all believers work. Only in intimacy could people save each other. And because he learned this well, the struggle of Le Chambon against evil would be a kitchen struggle. A battle between a community of intimates and a vast surrounding world of violence, betrayal, and indifference. 
Camus had some hope for humanity because he saw humans that had been filled with the presence of Christ. He was so close. He was so close. And they bore witness to the fact that though Jesus was buried in a tomb, he came to stand in the midst of his people. And that makes all the difference. Christ came not to draw a crowd, but to build a church. And on this first Sunday morning, he was shaping his church. And he said, peace. And he breathed on them. And he said, receive the Holy Spirit. And then he gathered them at breakfast. And he said, we will be a community of intimates. Because we're engaging in a kitchen struggle against the world, the flesh, and the devil. And nothing has changed. We are still invited into a community of intimates. And the promise still stands that where two or three gather in my name, I will be present in their midst. In the opening pages of Genesis, God breathed life into lifeless clay. What a beautiful poetic description of our origin. And in the Gospel of John, Jesus breathes life into a lifeless church. And the body of Christ stands. And with the Son of God speaks. Jesus Christ was buried in a tomb. Then he stood in the midst of his disciples and spoke. Therefore, a human organization can become a spirit-filled church. But that's not even the end. Jesus Christ was buried in a tomb. Then he stood in the midst of his disciples and spoke. Therefore, we are sent by God to follow. Verse 21 As the Father sent me, so I am sending you. This is what he said. Ray Summers called this mind staggering. This commission to embody and proclaim God's redemptive love. That's what he did for them. That's what he does for and to us. He invites us to be part of it. The key word here is as. As. It wasn't like Jesus threw them out into the world and said, good luck, guys. I'm rooting for you. He says, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. How did the Father send Jesus? He sent him in such a way that Jesus was to obey and to trust the empowerment of the Spirit. In Philippians 2.8, it said he humbled himself and became obedient. In John 5.19, it said Jesus himself, whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise. In Matthew 4.11, we hear that Jesus was led by the Spirit. You see, the, the Spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead doesn't push. God leads. And we have been sent, but we have been sent to follow. 
This is our vocation collectively. And this is our vocation each and every one. After Jesus dealt with the group, he singled out Peter. Peter saw Jesus from the boat, put on his clothes, and swam to the beach. Spending time together on those shores, having failed him, Peter was restored. His heart was restored. His mind was restored. His will was shaped. You see, back on the night of the supper, Jesus was laying out what was going to happen. And Peter wanted to be part of everything. He said, I'll, I'll, I'll be with you. I'll, I'll do whatever you want me to do. I, I'm there, boss man, I'm there with you. And Jesus told him, where I'm going, you cannot follow. Where I'm going, you cannot follow. See, grace always works first. And what Jesus was about to do, there was no partnering in that. There was no sharing that load. He was the unique one of a kind, only begotten Son of God, and the work that was going to be done was going to be done by him in solitude. And Peter said, oh no, Jesus, I'm with you. He said, you'll betray me. But then he made him this promise. But you will follow later. But you will follow later. But you will follow later later after what after the resurrection and because of Pentecost the swaggering Peter would be changed he would be changed by the aliveness of God in Christ he would be changed by the Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead he would be changed. Peter in his flesh could only fail. The Peter later, Jesus said, would follow. He sent them, he sends us as he went, we are sent to trust, to obey to do it in the empowerment that only God can give. That's lived Easter. And that's God's hope for all of us today. So the, day, the question for you is, do you know this living Christ? Is the resurrection a concept, an idea, an interesting thing? Or is it lived reality today it can be today can be the day that you open your life to the rhythms of God's grace even as he has been pursuing you today is the day that you can open your scared heart and allow the living one to come in and to stand as Lord and to speak and to direct if that has been your experience, today I ask you, how are you 
living your life in this world, in God's world, in the world that was touched by His mercy and grace? Are you ambling through it, calling your own shots? Or day by day, are you following the alive one who is leading you on a grand adventure through open doors here and there to bear witness and to embody the redeeming love that is our theme and will be our theme until we die? I recently started listening to Keith Getty and Stuart Townsend's beautiful little song, Holy Spirit, living breath of God. It's become something of a prayer for me. They sing, Holy Spirit, living breath of God, breathe new life into my soul. Bring the presence of the risen Lord to renew my heart and make me whole. So many days I need the wholeness that can only come from His grace. So many mornings I need my heart renewed. So I sing, Holy Spirit, living breath of God. Breathe new life into my soul. Bring the presence of the risen Lord to renew my heart and make me whole. I'm wondering on this Easter morning if that's not a prayer you need to pray, if it's not a song you need to sing. If it is. If you want to live your life on the breath of the living one, animated by the spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead, if you want to live your life together with Christ, would you simply acknowledge that by standing now? Would you close your eyes? Would you offer your life up to God? If that's the prayer... If that's the prayer that's in your heart and the hope that's in your breath, would you repeat after me? Holy Spirit, living breath of God, breathe new life into my soul. Bring the presence of the risen Lord to renew my heart and make me whole. Hear our prayers, Holy Father. We pray in the name of Christ the Lord. Fill us with your Spirit. Amen. Andy, come and lead us.